I don't think I've ever screamed and yelled in anger. Mm -hmm. Um, Screaming and yelling is what my dad did, and it scared me. If I would feel anger, it was so repressed for so many years. I remember it was in in the early 90s when I was in graduate school, and I was in therapy for the first time. And I was starting to realize that there were things that I had a right to be angry about. Welcome to Women Are Mad, where we invite women to bring their anger into everyday conversation. We're all feeling it. Let's get together to work out what to do with it. I'm Jennifer Cox. And I'm Salima Saxton. And this week, I've got a really hopeful message um, to counteract the usual angry gripes, which is that somebody has let us know that based on their listening to the podcast, they called out a heat-eating incident at work. Brilliant. Isn't this fab? I love to hear that. They work in the medical professions. They were in a male-dominated environment and somebody basically stole their thunder and Mm. they called them out and they, they made the event publicly known. Oh, good for them. I love that. And also, look, I think that is the important thing about keeping anger at the forefront of our minds. It doesn't mean, as some people have said to me, oh, gosh, does that mean that you're furious all the time and that you and Jen are ranting about various things? And I said, no, it's just about learning how to um, navigate that emotion Yes, and how to sit with it even when it's uncomfortable and how to speak up when you're feeling it. Yeah. And to use it as information. That's the point, yes. isn't it? Ooh, yes. I like that. It's sort of, it's like an alarm system. Right. And we can really make use of it. That's right. the point of it. Rather than my usual tears, as you know, which is oh, what I do, isn't it? And Tears or clown. Better. Or clown. Yes. yes. Doesn't need to be that way. No, it doesn't. Um, okay. I'm going to... Uh, take great pleasure in introducing our guest today. Lovely. Who is Priscilla Gilman, American writer and former Yale professor. Priscilla's prolific written work includes her memoirs, The Critic's Daughter and The Anti-Romantic Child, a story of unexpected joy, inspired by both raising her son, Benjamin, who has autism, and the romantic poetry Priscilla has been immersed in as an academic. Um, The quote of one reviewer really sums up the energy running through Gilman's personality as well as her work. They say she writes with clarity, meticulous candor and incandescent love forged in the fire of extraordinarily demanding family dynamics. Welcome Priscilla Gilman. Welcome, Priscilla Gilman. So nice to meet you. Oh, so thank nice you so much for you. being here with us. The first question that we always ask people as I look at this beautiful beaming face is, Priscilla, oh. what, what makes you angry? You know what makes me the most angry is dishonesty of any kind, whether it takes the form of a gaslighting, whether it takes the form of someone saying that something is good when it isn't or telling me that something I've done is good when I know it isn't. And I and I want honesty. Um, so any kind of dishonesty, lying, evasion, euphemism, anything like that, 
I listened to one of your, I listened to all your podcasts. They were fantastic. One of them, someone said that when someone tells them to calm down, yeah. that angers them. And I was like, I hate that. It's kind of saying stuff a rag it's, into your mouth and be quiet. Exactly. Yeah. And I, as it's you very tell, gagging. I, it's very yeah. gagging. Mm. And I am not interested in gagging. Um, I was always, I remember when I was a little girl uh, at my preschool, I went to a Montessori school in New York City. And I remember the head of the school telling my parents, you cannot send her to a school where they say, sit down, Priscilla. Were you quite a free spirit, even when you were quite young? Were you somebody who knew who you were and wanted to express things? You know, it's so interesting. It's kind of a paradox, Salima, because I was a free spirit in many ways. In school, I think my friends would tell you that I was very unloving and free spirited. And I always told them the truth. So if they said, like, does this outfit look good? I would say, you know, it could be better. Or, oh, yeah. uh, you know what I mean? Because I wanted that for myself. Which birth order are you in? I am the oldest of two daughters from my parents' marriage. My father had a son from a previous marriage, 12 years older. Uh, I'm 14 months older than my sister. We're like twins, essentially. And she's mm. still my best friend. And we went through this whole thing together. But my sister was the difficult one. My sister was the one who didn't sleep through the night. My sister was the one who threw tantrums. Uh, I kind of admired her for that. Even as I, because she expressed her needs, she knew how to get her needs met. Mm. Even as it terrified me because I was afraid of the fights that would happen between my sister and my father. Because my father did not like us to get upset and throw tantrums and he was quite volatile so i was always sort of kicking her under the table to get her to be quiet okay so you were sort of managing the situation i was mm. managing the situation um mm. in all the pictures from my childhood it's interesting as i was working on the book um all of the pictures where it's the whole family my mom my dad my sister and myself i have my arms around people and I am bringing everybody oh. together. You present in a very serene, upbeat, <laughs> open, oh. open way. It's so interesting then to contrast that with some of the words of your book. Oh, and Salima, I've been told that by so many people. When I go to speak and they're like, you're so smiley, you're so cheerful. Like I was expecting a very serious and also I have right. a PhD from Yale and they're like, wow. you're going to be off-putting. And it's the opposite of my personality, my personality as you're you're accurately perceiving it <laughs> and bringing it out because I love being here with you too. But you know what? I think there's something also, and we love having you here, by the way, um, about the dichotomies here. So there's the yes. sort of ebullient, full of life, really vivacious you. Then yep. there's this sad, um, in inhibited little girl, you trying to make yes. everyone happy and, and be the right thing. What turns out is there's this volatility and something so stormy going uh, on. I love Jennifer, you really diagnosing it so beautifully and so brilliantly. My book is all about dichotomies, paradoxes, contradictions, right? Mm. You know, in the beginning of the book, I described the sort of milieu that my parents lived in. I would perceive, oh, this person, like Toni Morrison, she's getting reviewed in the New York Times and she's getting rave review. And she was Aunt Toni to me. And I would see their private struggles. I would see depression. I would see alcoholism. I would see infidelity with all of these characters. And my father was the quintessence of contradiction, right? This incredibly mm -hmm. powerful cultural figure this majestic father who adored me and my sister, 
you know, he was just so larger than life in so many ways. And yet he was so riven with insecurity and shame. He struggled with depression. He self-medicated by smoking. He died of lung cancer. And from a very young age, without thinking about it, without thinking deliberately, I have to do this. It was like, this is my part in this family unit is to smooth things over, keep my father in a good mood, keep my parents together. I always sensed that there was tension between them and they split up when I was 10 in a very shocking way. Uh, Because even though I was aware that the marriage seemed off, they always told us we're never going to split up. This was the lie. Mm -hmm. I don't want people to tell me things are better than they are. I want people to tell me the truth. There it is. And I was angry at them about that. How would you express that anger or indeed any other flavor of anger? I don't think I've ever screamed and yelled in anger. Mm -hmm. Um, Screaming and yelling is what my dad did and it scared me. If I would feel anger, um, it was so repressed for so many years. And I remember when I started, I read that book, is it called The Dance of Anger by Harriet Lerner? Um, about women, women's anger. And I, I remember it was in, my, in the early 90s when I was in graduate school and I was in therapy for the first time. And I was starting to realize that there were things that I had a right to be angry about. And one of them was my parents telling us that. I've always been an empath and I'm a very forgiving person. But, you know, my mother's unwillingness, inability to value my father after they split up, That was the one thing she did that did anger me. The gift of writing this book is that I got to go back and have these conversations with her. And finally, she affirmed my father's worth to me in a way that was so healing beyond all the therapy that I've done. Just her saying he was basically a kind and ethical man and he was a great father. This lie... The, the sort of original lie that we're not going to split up and then they split up. But there's something about this healing conversation that then goes on between you and your mom, mm-hmm. where she names the good things about your dad, the things that she continued to love and continued to value. I wonder yes. if that is something reparative by way of, mm-hmm. I wasn't lying. I didn't want to end with that part of him. It was easier to be angry than to feel the sadness at having something not work out. And also the guilt that she had, which I've told her over and over, you don't need to have guilt. I understand why you needed to end it. But it's become apparent to me in writing this book and interviewing her that she has been carrying a lot of guilt because we were 10 and nine when she split the marriage. It's interesting, Priscilla, when you talk about where we go instead of anger as well, what comes out if we don't dare express that anger, whether it comes out as a deep sadness, whether it comes out as a deep, as as a kind of such a buried resentment that you're kind of masking, you know, is so can be so damaging to all of us. I think for me in high school, it came out as illness. You remember I talked about how I started getting sinus issues. Yes. And then I dropped out of Yale because I was so sick and I was was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm. I did get mono from a boyfriend. It's true. (laughs) You know, like he called me and he was like, I have mono. And I found out I had mono. The illness that I had and, and leaving graduate school and saying to my parents, I'm sorry, not graduate school, undergraduate, and saying, I'm not well. And I, I wasn't able to say then I've been emotionally harmed by the split. 
but I was able to say, I'm not well, and I need to step off this treadmill. Because if you remember, one of the reasons that I, I was a very free-spirited child. I didn't really work hard in school. I was kind of the one who would j- make all the jokes and play pranks on the teachers. I mean, it's crazy. I like my tell. students at Yale, when they found this out, they were like, they were like, what? I was like, yeah, yeah. I was, and then, <laughs> and then I got to high school and I suddenly realized the thing that makes both of my parents happy is when I do well in school. And so I became that perfect student, Uh, getting all the uh, A's, getting an early to Yale. And it was, I would give my parents my papers that had the A on it. I never felt happy for myself. I felt this is one of these. I'm so sorry for that little girl, you. Oh, I know. It was hard. Mm, It was a mm, lot of stress. And I, you know, I wanted to be an mm, actress, Salima. Did you? And I I sang, I did a lot of theater in high school and then I stopped. Mm. I was like, it's too risky. Mm-hmm. I need to do something that is going to please my parents. Both of my parents wanted me to stop acting. I, they might be angry at me oh. if I go into performing. So I'm going to do something that's going to make them both happy and create a kind of fragile peace between them. Did it make you happy and content? Because I feel that it did. Yes. You know, I left academia. So I taught, um, I did get my PhD and I taught at Yale and I taught at Vassar as a professor. And I left largely because I have an autistic child uh, and my, I was splitting up from my first husband at the time. And I had a little boy who turned out to have dyslexia. I actually have two children with special needs. Mm. And I was just overwhelmed um, being on a tenure track. And I thought I need to do something where I'm going to be able to pay more attention to my kids. And I worked as a literary agent with my mom. And then I became a writer. And I have never regretted getting that PhD and teaching literature because literature has gotten me through all of these crises in my life. Mm. Um, I am a passionate advocate. I always say I'm a passionate advocate for children, autistic people, and literature. So I didn't end up, you know, and I still teach. I teach for Yale. I teach book groups. I teach writing. um, But I didn't have to do it in that conventional way where it's like, six years and you're out. Well, I'm thinking this, I mean, there is so much passion in you, so much, and it's bubbling out. And (laughs) and maybe there is something about this sort of decision that initially was due to um, wanting to please parents and not wanting to make them angry. So you turn away from the acting, you turn towards the academia. But nothing is is kind of black and white is it like we were saying with the parts of a person there are parts of decisions and maybe some of it was a sadness it was an ending the dream of acting is gone but something else arrives that ends up bringing you you know clearly so much pleasure and satisfaction and a sense of real sort of um meaning exactly and you know i think so my father taught actors, right? He taught the Yale School of Drama. My mother wanted to be an actress. She went to Northwestern. I think they both had a lot of, um, you know, my dad taught Meryl Streep and Henry Winkler and all these people in the 70s. He taught Fran McDormand. He, he used to call her Franny McDormand. I oh, remember. she's... Oh, my God. David Allen Greer, like all these actors. And they all made great lives for themselves. And, you know, I use aspects of theater as a teacher. You right. have to, yeah. right? You have to get people's attention I read my own audiobooks. I love doing that. I would love to do audiobooks. I love reading poetry out loud, especially. I lead a poetry group. And my first book, you know, I, I was a British lit girl, you yeah. too. Yeah. Um, I, I wrote my dissertation on Jane Austen. 
Oh, and uh, and Wordsworth. Oh. And my first book has Wordsworth's poetry, oh. you know, all throughout the book. And I read the poems on the audiobook. Mm. Um, I, I'm all about the British literature. My you ex-husband are. is an Americanist, but I'm all into the British. Yeah. So I feel very clumsy asking you this now, but we always ask oh. people this question. But considering your, your strong, beautiful spirit, it just seems... Well, I'll be interested to hear how you answer. Okay, um, I'm intrigued. So... Have you ever had a particular darkly angry period in your life or moment in it where you're, you were leading with that emotion? Or have you always been able to navigate it as beautifully mm. as you appear to now? Oh, I love that question. I would say two. So my mother-in-law died of cancer when she was 54. I'm sorry. And literally, I think about eight months after she died, my father was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And then we found out, then a couple of years later, we found out that our son, my firstborn, uh, had all these special needs. And I just remember there were moments where I get really angry at cancer. Um, That's something that makes me very angry. Um, I have two friends who have cancer now, and I feel furious at cancer. And I just remember just, why is this happening? Like, I'm 25. My mother-in-law dies. I adored her. Uh, And then you know, my father is sick and he ended up living for nine years. So that was a period I never led with it, Salima, but I would have Mm. moments where I would be like, I hate cancer. Why are good people getting sick? And, Mm. you know, jerks living to 110. It's (laughs) it's frustrating to me. It's always always the way. It's always the way, right? Mm. Um, I had a week or so after my book came out when you know, most of the reviews were really lovely and affirming and, and smart. And there was one review that just went after my mom in a way that just made me really, really angry. And When your family of origin is such that you sort of wire around, as you say, crisis and trauma, and that becomes your ordinary, then you don't notice it. You don't pick it out when you're in it again as an adult, which is so often why repetition, you know, Talk about irony. As an undergraduate at Yale, my specialty, I wrote my senior thesis on Wordsworth, but I wrote about a drowned man in Wordsworth's poetry. And my professor, her name is Kathy Carruth. She was denied tenure at Yale, but she went on. She's the world's leading trauma theorist. She teaches at Cornell. And I took a class that she taught called Literature, Trauma, and Culture. And I never connected it to my own life. As our ending question, we like to know what what do you do that makes you happy or brings you peace or brings you calm? Like something away from anger literature, um, poetry in particular, helps me to kind of slow down. And I don't know if you two know that I am a certified meditation teacher. No, but that makes so much sense. (laughs) So wow, meditation, meditation and teaching, connecting with people. Um, You know, the most satisfying thing about being a writer for me is hearing from other people that my story has made them feel less alone. And I think both of my books, my first one being a mother is about being a mother. The second one about being a daughter, but they're both sort of universal Mm. stories of, I think, you know, my son is autistic, but he's an extreme version of all children because none of us gets the child that we're expecting to get. 
we all have to grapple with our child's otherness and how they're going to frustrate our expectations or we're not going to have the fantasy of parenting oh that we thought we were going to have. And it's called the anti-romantic child. I do very um, big nods. Very <laughs> big nods. <laughs> and, you know, with our parents, I feel like my goal in writing the book is to look at my father in the round. And, you know, I use that theatrical metaphor, Salima, right? Like I'm not looking at him with his makeup on only with his makeup on on the stage from the front. I'm looking at him from the wings. I'm looking at him backstage. I'm looking at him without his costumes. All I'm, the parts of him. All the mm. parts of mm. him. And that's mm. healing. And I think that's how all of us essentially want to be seen and loved. It's very scary. I'm learning to do that myself. You know, you said about the thing, not noticing trauma. Um, you know, there's a part late in my book where I talk about getting in some relationships where things that would have been red flags would be red flags to me today. Didn't seem like red flags. They were like felt normal, right? Somebody right. who's very depressed or somebody who's using a substance addictively or somebody who says that they'll kill themselves if I break up with them. These are the patterns. These mm. are the patterns. Mm. Oh, Priscilla. <laughs> Thank you so much for oh, everything you, you brought so us today. Much. I just, I just want you to know that two, two things. I would like to move in with you. <laughs> uh, I would like you to read me, no, to make up a beautiful story every night as I go to sleep. And frankly, this says everything about you as a writer. I could listen to you forever. Oh, Salima, yeah. this has been yeah. such a joy. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.